guardians of the wheels. Guardians of the Wills, a Star Wars Legends podcast. And now, here are your two hosts, Neil and Dustin. Hey everybody, I'm Dustin. And I'm Neil, and welcome to the Guardian of the Wills podcast. Well, thanks for coming back to listen to us babble on about nothing again. <laughs> we sure appreciate it. So, we're going to get into the to our main topic today, but first... I want to bring up the fact that I have watched Solo several times since we last talked, and and I think the reason I have is due to what we talked about. I don't know does that does that hold true for you? Yes. Uh, so the like the last week and a half, I think I've watched it about four times. <laughs> that some people might call that obsessive. I call it a good time. Call it a little bit of underachievement. <laughs> but no, I think that's perfect. Yeah, I mean, I it's not that I didn't like it the first time I saw it or anything like that because I loved it. But I every time I've seen it since then, I have uh grown to like it more and more. And the you know, the humor in the movie gets me more yep. every time I see it. And if I had a list of Star Wars movies it's it's rising up the charts with a bullet. So on your list of Star Wars movies, it's rising up is what you're saying? Yes. <laughs> Not if. <laughs> um, I I completely agree, and I, I like that you bring up the humor part because that's also something we talked about before is sometimes humor can be missing from Star Wars, and it seems to be something that has a has a fine, fine place there, and Solo sure has it, and it's it's again, it's in the right amounts. Right. It's not overdone, but boy, what's there is what's there is good, and man, that is a good movie. And I sure hope we get some more content with those actors and everything that we got to see would get to continue. I sure would like to see what Darth Maul has to do with anything yeah. in that world, and I'd like to see his metal legs jump around and slice somebody in twain. <laughs> yeah, possible. You, yeah, I mean it. It leaves you really wondering what he and Kira are going to be up to on Dathomir. Mm-hmm. But how cool was it to hear him say Dathomir? By the way, yeah, no, and just, and by the way, also how cool was it that that was Ray Park who was oh. Darth Maul in Episode One, but voiced by Sam Witwer, who does Darth Maul's voice on Clone Wars and Rebels. Clone Wars, yeah, that is pretty cool. That was cool. they did a. That's uh, to me. That's I don't know. That just strikes of wanting to maintain and actually caring about what you're doing. That they would yeah. they would do that, and it was neat because yeah. I mean, I realized episode one was however many years ago at this point, nearing twenty years old, or is it twenty years old? Yeah, nineteen ninety nine. What year is it now? <laughs> yeah, but it was twenty years ago. So obviously, Ray Park is twenty years older. But they made Darth Maul look. Older in that, yeah. I, mean, I guess what I mean by that is I realize the actor himself is older, but I'm sure they could have not made him look any older if they didn't want to. So they right. wanted to, which means they wanted you to know time had passed for him too. And 
Exactly. Just really makes you wonder. So anyhow, I know I watched it, a lot of it due to our talk of Talon Card and the whole smuggler and rogue thing. And we got to see Lando and Han being roguish smugglers and doing their thing and criminal this and criminal that. And it was sure enjoyable. Absolutely. Co- I, I, I didn't watch it four times. I've only watched it twice in the last couple weeks but so i just feel terrible about that (laughs) you're a terrible human being that's right so but i wanted to get that off my chest and it's i think it's i just want more solo yeah and maybe maybe we'll see some more in the disney app in the future because a lot of the rumors are that uh maybe it won't necessarily be on the big screen but the Disney app will be, you know, the the device that can deliver all of these stories to us through TV shows mm-hmm. and things like that. So there's always a possibility, and I'm and I'm pretty sure a lot of those actors are under contract for more content. So probably they could probably make it happen, and I'm sure they all, you know, wouldn't be sad to get another paycheck. Probably not. <laughs> no, I agree. And- I think uh, those streaming services anymore, when God, when they bust out, when they really want to bust out a series, it's as high quality as a movie is anyway. Yeah. And it's just, you know, and there's something to be argued with it, argued for too, in that it's big difference when you have two hours to tell a story versus 10. Yeah. If, you know, as an arbitrary number of 10 one hour episodes or whatever it may be. Right. So, but it can also get drug out too much when you do that too. So hopefully that's not the case if if that happens. Yeah, there's but, a, there's a fine line in there with that. But enough dreaming onto what's <laughs> real. And what's real is is the dark force that's rising. That's right. Out in the distance. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. So we're on to our second second book in the Thrawn trilogy. This one's called Dark Force Rising. Still Timothy's on. Wrote all three of these books. One thing you know, of course, in the Legends is you can have several different authors. This trilogy is Timothy's on. And again, this is the expanded universe. This is the Legends. And we also know, as we've mentioned before, that there is a new Disney canon. And we've talked about that. We will compare the two when we when we want to, when it'll be lots of times Again, this is not one of those times because we're still on the Thrawn trilogy and then the new Thrawn books, we do those, and we will dedicate an episode just to to these, and we'll talk about all that then. So moving forward, um, can we get a summary? Sure. I just so happen to have my Dark Force Rising paperback sitting right in front of me. Fantastic. Let's see. As I turn to the back cover... Dark Force Rising The dying empire's most cunning and ruthless warlord, Grand Admiral Thrawn, has taken command of the remnants of the Imperial fleet and launched a massive campaign aimed at the New Republic's destruction. Meanwhile, Han and Lando Calrissian race against time to find proof of treason inside the highest Republic Council, only to discover 
Instead, a ghostly fleet of warships that could bring doom to their friends and victory to their enemies. Yet most dangerous of all is a new dark Jedi, risen from the ashes of a shrouded past, consumed by bitterness and scheming to corrupt Luke Skywalker to the dark side. To the dark side. Will he succeed? We will see. He will. Well, we're good. We were. We will. Spoilers. We're gonna, okay, maybe not. So yeah, spoilers. <laughs> it's over. Uh, we're going to talk about this book, what happens in it, what we think of it, and uh, we will, of course, hope to hear your reactions as well. So we'll just start off right at the very beginning of the book, I think. Uh, what, what do you want to talk about first? Well, we start out with Thrawn coming back to Merkur. Um, seeking retribution against Card and his his band of of pirates and misfits his his the land of misfit toys and basically he has launched a ground assault on Merker um, going into Card's old base. Card has obviously fled the scene, but uh, Thrawn's wanting to gain any kind of information he can and. It's interesting that the Imperial officer that's leading this ground attack inside of his AT-AT is none other than General Cavell. And I remember him mostly from a video game that came out in the early to or the mid to late 90s, and it was called Star Wars Rebellion. And you could choose to be either the Rebels or the Empire and, you know, dominate the galaxy. But, uh, if you chose the Empire, Cavell was one of the Imperial officers that you could deploy to go lead ground troops, you know, to uh, gain control of different planets and stuff like that. And it's kind of cool that he's part of that whole big universe. And I know that he, you know, is first introduced just in this book, but I like how that all ties in. What do you think? It continues on. One thing we talked about a lot uh, with Heir to the Empire was world building. And this continues on that because... They are still building this whole big galaxy and they're bringing in people that had bit parts or what we say are bit parts, you know, in the movies and all that. And it's it's kind of the same as bringing in Wedge so prominently in the first one. And of course, he continues on for a right. long time to be, you know, with the uh, his own books and all that stuff or where he's made characters and books and all that. And so it's kind of neat to see that and to see that they're, taking the time to pluck people out and bring them along for the ride. It makes it feel more like a like a real world or a complete universe. It does. So we saw how it all started out. Now, we're going to move on a little bit here because this and this is all this is again world building and something I have already mentioned to you that I wanted wanted to talk about just cuz it's neat is whatever we see new species of aliens and we get to see a new one in this book and it's it's the wraith that niles farrier has in his crew and i think the wraith is pretty cool with the way he kind of just is a shadow and all the things he can do and one thing i always wonder about stuff like that and this wraith is maybe maybe a good example maybe not is do you think it's easy for people to accept that there's this kind of character in star wars or I chuckle a little bit because, or yeah. is Star Wars too grounded to have a what seems like a ghost floating around? Even though we've had, you know, 
the force ghosts and all that, but uh, actual just ghost type thing. Yeah, the the thing that kind of struck me the first time I remember reading this was my mind immediately goes to Lord of the Rings. And the, the ring, <laughs> mine does too. <laughs> watching the ring wraiths, you know, yeah. and it's kind of odd, but at the same time, I don't think it's totally out of place. It might be kind of, it might take you a second to get used to because it is very uh, different for mm-hmm. something like Star Wars, but you know, it doesn't take you very long to accept the fact that there are wraiths basically in this universe because like you said, there's ghosts and all other kinds of weird stuff Mm -hmm. going on. So it's not that far of a stretch for something like a wraith to exist. I don't think, what do you think? I I don't think so at all. And I mean, at this point when I would have originally been reading this book, I, uh, you know, I was 100% invested in Star Wars. So if Star Wars said that there's race, and ah, there must totally be race <laughs> out there. So they're real. In fact, I I check under my bed every night just in case one's there to plant evidence or <laughs> do whatever right. needs to be done for right. my rival smuggling operation. You know, and another thing, you know, talking about the universe and different kinds of species in this scene with where we where we get introduced to Niles Ferrier, the the ship thief, basically, is the Verpine or Verpine is part of his group. Mm-hmm. And the Verpine have been around since uh, the old Marvel comics. Right. And we kind of learned that they were they're they're mechanically inclined and and you and you learned that they were instrumental in helping Admiral Akbar invent the B-Wing, which is pretty cool. One of the coolest ships ever, in my it opinion. It is cool. I agree. So that was I absolutely agree. That was pretty pretty interesting. Moving on, we we get uh Leia travels to the Nogri homeworld of Honiger. We do. With Chewbacca and 3PO. And she goes there to try to Basically for diplomacy, because she believes that if she can go there and get a chance to talk to them, she can sway them to to their cause. So, how, how do you, do you have any thoughts about the the Nogri homeworld or what Leia is trying to do? Did you think she was crazy, like Han thought she was totally insane for trying to do this? First of all, I think here's my thoughts on Leia and the Nogri and all that stuff. This is the meat of the book to me. It is. It is that I find myself always, whenever I read this book, always wanting it to, I just, I get to the point where I want to skip parts just so I can go back to where Leia and the Nogri are on Honiger, how I pronounce it. I don't know if that's how you're supposed to pronounce it or not, Uh, but that's what I always say to myself is Honiger. Yeah. Um, I just want to go back there because I think it's a great story and you get to meet the Nogri and Keep bringing it up, but it's back to the world building thing because we get to learn about their culture and all that and what they got going on. But as far as her decision to do it, I, I always thought it made perfect sense. And doesn't it seem like the type of thing Leia would do? Yeah. I mean, you talk about continuity of keeping in the spirit of the movies. It just, no part of that ever felt like, well, that's dumb. She wouldn't do, absolutely she would do that <laughs> and not and not think that it was a, 
a scary thing to do, especially when she started to think, maybe I can sway these people. And with with what's so good about her and the way she's written and all that is you don't ever feel like it's it's nefarious. Like she thinks, well, we could just get somebody that could help us win versus, well, maybe these people really need our help. Yeah. And, and we could do that. And you learn, you kind of learn this throughout the book. So this is jumping around a little bit, but, you know, we get to hear about how their world got caught up in the middle of the war and then the empire was going to help them rebuild. And then they find out through soil samples and stuff that the empire had actually been poisoning the world to keep it down so that they could keep them in service and keep these super skilled warriors on their side. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's just neat to see her go through that. And then to realize that they're just good people and they just want to help out. They want to help out who helps them. But boy, I, I read, whenever I read this book, it just makes me think, can we just go ahead and get a, a whole series of no Greek commandos <laughs> books? Cause that would be really cool. Whether it was while they were in service to Vader or before that, yeah. Yeah. Later on, I just, oh God, I get so excited by the, I think they're neat. I just really, I really, really like them. Yeah. I think uh, I'm going to have some more to say about that later on in the show Mm -hmm. when we talk about uh, the role playing game Mm -hmm. aspects and ramifications of this. But uh, first things first, uh, I did want to say, I I wanted to mention a couple things real quick about uh, Leia's visit, or actually before she goes, she decides to rendezvous in orbit above Endor. Yeah. And while she's there, they're in the Millennium Falcon, her, Chewie, and 3PO, and Leia blacks out. Yes, she does. And this was a really, what I thought was very interesting part of the book is the Millennium Falcon just happens to pass through where the Death Star, where Death Star 2 used to be. And she passes through like this residual presence of the emperor and where he died. And the dark side was so powerful in that spot. It physically upset her to the point where she, she blacked out for a little bit. And it's just little bitty stuff like that. That doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the overall plot or anything like that. But it's stuff like that, that Timothy Zahn puts in the books that for one thing, it connects you back to the original trilogy and it keeps keeps this whole universe going and letting you know that you're still in this space that they were occupying during the original trilogy in the movies. So it was a really good way to tie all of that kind of stuff in together. It is. And there's precedent set for it because, you know, talk about Yoda being on Dagobah and how this dark side is really strong there. And then, I may be making this up, but doesn't Luke mention in Heir to the Empire about being on Coruscant in the old, where the Empire was, and yeah. how there was a strong sense of the dark side there? So it's kind of neat that they were pulling that out and saying events, whether light or dark, can really have an effect on a place after they're done. And yeah. and how, I mean, it's so strong that she blacks out. And then it's a it's a neat way to... Oh, by the way, don't forget that that guy that was so evil was also ridiculously powerful. That right. he can still come back to haunt you. Yeah. And maybe he will someday. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> you never know. Foreshadowing. Yeah. 
moving on from there, we pick up where Card's group uh, goes to hide out from Thrawn. Mm-hmm. And it's a planet called Rishi. The main thing that I got from this scene, I think that that shocked me the most, was Mara kills Dengar. <laughs> she sure does. Which is like, what? So yeah. Dengar, Dengar, the bounty hunter, you know, has been contracted by the Empire to find Card and his people. And sure enough, he runs into Mara and Mara flat out kills him. She, she does. <laughs> I, it's, uh, you know, got to give her character some room for growth. Yeah. So step, step one would be to <laughs> murder those that get in your way. But I think she, in her mind, you know, protecting everybody and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that's, it's one of those things that fits in with her character really well. But yeah, no, that's something I always take from that. And that was, uh, I don't remember which, that, would that have been the first issue of the comic book for it? I remember going back through that part a couple of times because it was kind of neat. Yeah. In the comic book. Uh, speaking, speaking of which, I'm going to throw this in here real quick because we probably won't talk a whole lot about the comic book, but I did want to mention one thing is, did you notice you got a different artist Mm-hmm. on Dark Force Rising than you did in Heir to the Empire. Because, yeah, the for one thing, the Nogri were appropriate size. and <laughs> They were the size of three houses. <laughs> and another thing was, I thought Leia looked way more like Carrie Fisher. Looked you know, better, I, yep. Yeah, I, 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 I just thought overall the art made a lot more sense in the Dark mm-hmm. Force Rising than it did in the Heir to the Empire. But did. So I, one thing I wanted to touch on, too, because I know you're a big fan, is we get introduced to the Barabel species. Yes, we do. So Luke gets to, yeah. Luke gets to judge one. He does. He does. Yeah. You want to talk about the, the Barabels a little bit? Well, it was, I kind of, I talked to, I have already talked to you about this, but it'd been long enough that I'd read these books that I didn't remember that. It's such a small part in the, of the book. I mean, uh-huh. that you, that you, that you run to the bear bells, but, or the bear bell, but later on in the legends, bear bells become very important because we have, we have one very important bear bell and she has other ones with her, but she becomes a Jedi master and all that. But it's so cool to once again, see this world building has started. How many books before you actually see one take, prominent effect or a prominent stance in in the galaxy and that's so cool to see them bring all that stuff full circle and right. to have these bear bells or have a, already have seen a bear bell now i i am going to use that as a i guess starting point since we're going to since you know that was luke seeing it so this this is a book now where luke is going to get somebody else to train him since he decides to go to joe mark because yeah. Sabaoth is calling him. Yes. We see some things here that I really like. I have always thought Luke's character growth over the course of the 6,000 books that make up the Legends <laughs> canon is neat because he really does have growth throughout it. And it doesn't really feel disjointed. And you get to see in this book that he goes to Joe Mark. Does he, is he 100% sure he's going to get trained by a Jedi Master? I don't think so. But he's confident when he goes that he'll be okay. And he proves it real quick 
because he's going through this training. He doesn't ever training. I use air quotes for what I say training, which is works perfect when you can't see him. But <laughs> but uh, I can it doesn't feel take him. him that good. <laughs> it doesn't take him take him that long to realize that uh, Sabayoth's got problems and. Even if he doesn't immediately think he's insane, he sure realizes real quick that they may not have the same view on things like the whole... I mean, he just wants Luke to constantly judge people as, as that is the way of the Jedi since they're greater than everybody. I Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic they have. How, how do you feel about his time there? Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of... It, it's strange because it, it's not strange from like, Timothy's on writing standpoint, it's strange from like Luke's perspective of being with this bat crap crazy Jedi that's telling him, well, of course this is how we did it back in the day. This is how we, we did judged it, yeah. people. And constantly. Yeah. And Luke is like, I I don't think you did. This doesn't I respectfully feel right. disagree. <laughs> yeah. And they have that whole scene where Sabayoth takes him down to the village on Jomart to judge these people. And Sabayoth doesn't like uh, Luke's ruling. Uh-uh. And then just force lightnings these, <laughs> these villagers. It's like, yeah, okay, this guy's crazy. I need to get the hell out of here. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that, that whole scene was kind of weird. Um, it is weird. Because you really, you really start to see inside of Sabiath and how insane he really is, and and it's it's good to see that Luke feels the same way as you, the reader, does. He's he totally understands that Sabiath may not be playing with a full deck of cards at this point. Yeah, something else that always comes up with Sabiath or with myself when I read these books, and I say it always comes up, but I'm a hundred percent sure it didn't come up the first time I ever read them is that uh, they talk about the original Sabayoth that wasn't a crazy clone and yes. how he was on the outbound flight project Yes, that may or may not have been classified by the CIA and FBI <laughs> and whatnot. But, you know, they talk about they're going to go try to find life outside the galaxy and stuff, I believe, is, is the idea behind it. And so now when I read that, I just think, man, we, we sure run into life from outside the galaxy later on. <laughs> big time <laughs> and so let's say were they laying the seeds for something that they maybe didn't know for sure what it would be or was it just like as curious as we are here in this galaxy to find life out, outside our own planet that they would be to outside what they would know and so it's just kind of you know if if that was the case or if it really was, we're going to bring in something at some point and we're going to lay the seeds now or plant the seeds now. Yeah. I don't know. I always think about that. I just I think it's interesting. The world may never know. It goes back to that thing we've talked about before of all these authors getting together, you know, to write this one big story, basically, and like we said before, to be a fly on the wall in those meetings and discussions about what's going to happen and stuff like the outbound flight project. Timothy Zahn has it in, in this trilogy and, you know, later on and, and we'll get to it eventually, but that becomes its own novel of explaining that story. 
So it, it's really kind of which cool. I have not read. I haven't either. So that'll be an interesting, interesting book to read. You know, but it it's pretty cool. You can take these little these little bitty things out of this story and and create something all its own out of it is is pretty cool. I think. Mm-hmm. Han and uh, Lando. Uh, I'm I'm jumping back just a little bit here. Uh, Han, Luke, and Lando are on a planet called Illic, I believe is how it's pronounced. I could be wrong. But uh, they're in this weird domed city, and the city's domed because there's these giant plants that eat people, apparently. And uh, the Empire does a raid. They don't know that you know our heroes are in the city. Or they totally wouldn't have. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, they get caught in the middle of this whole thing, and this is what leads... Han and Lando to come to know Senator Garmbel Iblis. His mm-hmm. people help uh, our heroes escape the city during this Imperial raid. Luke kind of gets diverted off a different path, and that's when he decides to go to Joe Mark to see Savayoth. Mm-hmm. But uh, we get introduced to to Garmbel Iblis, and that is a whole another character and world that Timothy's on created here and i i thought it was pretty interesting garm's past and Mm -hmm. how he knew who han solo was and all that stuff do you want to do you want to talk about that um what are your thoughts about old the old senator from corellia well my most of my thoughts on it are kind of along what you said already with with the timothy's on building that because I always liked examples throughout the the novels of these are things that were happening because there's things that exist outside of Luke and Leia and Han. And uh, so saying that Iblis and Mon Motha had had issues in the past, like when the rebellion, I believe it was when the rebellion was building up right away. Uh And so this very capable person had left and wasn't there anymore. And now he was just out floating around. And everybody thought he was dead, but he wasn't. And now we found him. And it's, I like those kind of things because it's a good way to introduce strong characters that weren't necessarily in the movies. Mm-hmm. And I always enjoy that. And I think he fits that mold really well. And they bring him right in and then he's immediately helpful. Well, yeah, to the story, he's immediately helpful. Right. I, I thought it was pretty interesting that he thought that the the reason he and Mon Mothma had this feud was because he was afraid that she had too much power and she was going to become a dictator just like the emperor. Just like the emperor, yeah. You know, and so he didn't want to be any part of it. And then time passes and he realizes that's not the case, but he's too proud to ask. Too proud, yep. You know, to, to come back to the rebellion or to the new republic at this point. It's hard to hard come back and eat crow. Yep, exactly, exactly. So about this time, Leia is negotiating with the Nogori, or Nogri, I'm sorry. And Thrawn comes and complicates the whole issue by deciding to go to Honegger and question the Nogri's loyalty to the Empire because he's kind of on to what's going on. He... He thinks that uh, one of them is possibly, you know, in cahoots with the New Republic. And it all stemmed from the attack on Kashyyyk in 
heir to the empire. And, and letting one of them get away. Exactly. So here comes Thrawn. One thing I thought was pretty interesting, going back to heir to the empire, you get Han's first reaction of when he sees Thrawn. Mm-hmm. Here you get Leia's first impression of him. And Leia's impression is that he reminds her of Tarkin, which I thought yep. was interesting because she said in his voice, in his authority, in his arrogance, reminded her of Tarkin. Did you have any thoughts about uh, this point in the book when Thrawn comes and spoils the the party on Honiger? I do. <laughs> I thought it's not exactly that, though. One thing I always chuckle about with Star Wars is, again, it being a galaxy, a huge galaxy with all these planets. And I always laugh about the fact that all of our main characters constantly meet up in their space <laughs> travels. <laughs> now, <laughs> it's like running into somebody in the hallway. <laughs> yeah, it just always happens. It's like, oh, of course they're going to be there at the same time. <laughs> but this one makes a little bit of sense because, you know, he would hit sit the Dogri after lay and all that. But the biggest thing I always wonder with is with as with it as Thrawn is, I think he mentions a couple times that the Nogri are loyal to the Empire. But when the Nogri talk, they're loyal to Vader. Exactly. Not the Empire. Yeah. And so with as with it as he is, it seems, does he not realize do you think he doesn't realize that the Nogri are loyal to Vader and not so much loyal to the Empire, that that's who they think was helping him out, and so that's who they owe? Or does he just word it that way because, as a leader, he doesn't want to say, well, these people that are doing all this stuff for us are are loyal to a guy that's dead? <laughs> I think it's... I think Thrawn totally knows what's knows going the story. on. Yeah, and I think he's trying to just keep them under his wing as long as he possibly can because mm-hmm. he knows how valuable they are. And I, I find it hard to believe that there's something out there that Thrawn didn't know about or know what was going on. So I think he, I think he totally knows and I think he's doing it on purpose for sure. Probably so. Another thing I, I, I brought it up already a little bit in another scenario, but as Leia learns about Honiger getting, beaten up in the war and then Vader coming down and offering help and all that. It's not a whole story. or I mean, it's not a whole fleshed out story. It's just what we hear in there, but it's another example of things that were happening that we didn't get to see. And what makes this one to me kind of important or special, I guess, for lack of a better word, is that it's about Vader because this point, if we just, if we have only seen the original trilogy and then read heir to the empire. And again, I know, there's others. There was already other stuff out to read and look at by this time. All we can think about Vader is what we saw in the original trilogy. You don't really think of him as doing stuff like whether it was actually goodwill or not, but a goodwill trip down to a planet to get some people on his side. Where in your mind you're picturing him having to go talk to him and stuff like that. And that doesn't, you know what I mean? That you don't think about that being Vader. But it starts to make you realize, well, he would have had to, he was a, he was a leader. He didn't just walk around and force choke people. He probably <laughs> did have to go do things like that. And it kind of starts to make you think, man, I want to know what other super cool things Vader may have done. He had to go negotiate and then go back to his office on the Death Star and fill out paperwork. 
and all get day. It. I mean, it's so much paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I know, I know, I know what you mean because you kind of only see him in, uh, you know, kind of menacing action villainy yeah. things, and that think that he's out there doing stuff like visiting the Nogari. It's kind of like before. Kissing babies. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like before you, it, your initial reaction might be, oh, well, that's that's strange or that seems out of place. But then you think about it and you're like, well, that's what he had to have been doing. Had I mean, to have been doing that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think that makes total sense. But it's I love that kind of stuff. And like a lot of people, when I read stuff – uh, that's Darth Vader doing things. I think it's really neat. And I emphasize Darth Vader, not Anakin Skywalker. But when he's actually Darth Vader, I think that's neat to read those kind of yeah stories because it's it's uh, it just starts to make you really think what all would have been going through his head for that 20 years that he was Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or however long the actual time frame would have been. Right. 20 space years. <laughs> Han and Lando are hanging out with Garmbel Iblis at this point and Lando kind of stumbles across one of the ships that uh, is at Bell Iblis's compound and he is certain this ship or or the interior of you know chairs or desks or whatever it was <laughs> you know came from the the Katana massage fleet. tables <laughs> yeah yeah uh, came from the Katana fleet and Han immediately dismisses it and he's like, no, that can't be. And Lando's adamant that that's, this is what's happening. He is. I, I always like that too. Cause you always, you always think about Lando as being somebody in the know. Yeah. And I always thought this was a cool, good example of that. Yeah, exactly. So we, we learned about the Katana fleet very briefly in heir to the empire and the Katana fleet, is this the way Han describes it, it it's like a uh, it's like a ghost story of mm-hmm. these ships that again we're introduced to something else here in the Star Wars universe the slave circuit so mm-hmm. all these ships were were you know it, it's kind of like a hive mind they're all linked together and yep. they all went into hyperspace and nobody knows where they went so they were just lost in you know in the ether nobody knows what happened to him and lando thinks that garmbel iblis may have found the fleet or maybe a couple ships from the fleet or something like that and everybody kind of starts to realize and you as the readers start to understand that whoever can get control of the katana fleet is gonna have a huge upper hand in this war between the new republic and thrawn's empire yeah, it's it's stated multiple times that neither side is just ripe with ships, and so this would be this would be like winning the lottery to them. Yeah, and so I can never I can never remember how the words used, but is the Katana fleet the MacGuffin of the story? Is that what you call that? Yeah, is that what a MacGuffin is? I, I would say I would say that's right. Yeah, that's what everybody's trying to get. Trying to get that's what right. Is that after. what a MacGuffin? Yeah. Yeah, and and so that's the driving force behind this episode, I'll call it. It's also where we get our title of this particular episode. Wait a minute. Is because Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> 
the Katana fleet is also referred to as the Dark Force. Yeah. So that's where that all comes in. Mm-hmm. Jumping ahead a little bit, we uh, we see Mara Jade um, going to the Abrogado Ray spaceport, where in Heir to the Empire, one of Card's men has a ship impounded, and Han told Card, I'll promise I'll get your ship out of impoundment. Yes. So Mara goes to get the ship. While she's there, she gets captured by Thrawn, and it's, it's when Thrawn shows up in orbit and Mara realizes, you know, the Empire's here. I got to get out of here. She can't get away in her ship fast enough and she eventually gets captured and brought aboard the Chimera, Thrawn's personal Star Destroyer. And she tries to make a deal with Thrawn to let her and Card's people free if she supplies the location of the Katana fleet. Because what we haven't mentioned yet is that Card has told Mara at this point that he thinks he knows where the Katana fleet is and he mm-hmm. totally, you know, happened upon it when he was trying to get away on a job a long time ago when he was an employee of another smuggler. Yeah. And he's con- he was convinced he was the only one in that group that recognized what was, because I think he even yeah. says that it, he didn't realize what he was seeing until later on. Exactly. Yeah. And so he's convinced. Mara tries to use that to to get out of a, a sticky situation. So Thrawn goes ahead and he lets her free. And Mara thinks that he's letting her go so that she can go to Card, get the location, and then give it to Thrawn and you know they can find the Katana fleet. But like most times, Thrawn He's a big blue jerkwad. <laughs> he's he's a step ahead of everybody. So he kind of hedges his bet, and he gets to Card before Mara does. Mm-hmm. And he ends up capturing Card. And when Mara realizes what's happened, it's too late. Card is captured, and she doesn't want to, but she thinks that the only person that can help her is Luke Skywalker, who she is apparently supposed to murder because... Because the voice of the emperor will Continually not tell her. will not shut up in her head to tell her to keep doing it. You will kill Luke Skywalker. And to that point, one thing I wanted to mention that I thought I thought about this while I was reading the book, and it kind of dawned on me. Do you think you know at the beginning of *Heir to the Empire*, we find Mara and Card's people on Merkur, where all the Isilamari are that dampen the Force. Mm-hmm. Do you think she was purposely there so that she didn't have to hear the emperor's voice and have the dreams anymore? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, I do. I've I always had kind of thought that 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 was that was not on accident that she ended up where she was and that it was a side effect to to keep the demons in her head down a little bit. But one thing I'll say about her deciding that the only person that can help her is Luke, and she totally doesn't want to. It also takes her about. 3.5 seconds to decide that the only person in the galaxy that can help her is Luke and she should totally go get him right now. <laughs> so, so it makes you think, so she's, you know, she's a uh, character arcs are such a good thing. And when somebody moves from one side to the other or what have you, it can be kind of neat when it's done well and not sudden yeah. and it's not sudden for her. And it's just another step, but it also then gives us, 
one of the things that I really like in this book that's that is outside of of Lay and the Nogri, and that is her going to Joe Mark to to pick up her boyfriend <laughs> from Sabaoth. Right. But their little and uh, I kind of jumped right into it. But their little she quickly also she also very quickly realizes that Sabaoth is not not a not good people. Right, and she knows she realizes there's that for lack of a better word that cloud of the force he's using to keep Luke's emotions down or to try and they have to have their little fight with him right then. Yeah. And I, I always thought that fight is well done. And I like that. That's more character development for Luke that. Yeah. Of course, Mara would come back because she needs my help. I'm totally down with it. (laughs) And they just, they go for it. And I think it's great. Yeah. Speaking of being two steps ahead, I, I, I think starting to show at this point that Luke is seems to constantly be two steps ahead of lots of other people. Right. And I just, it comes back again. It, I don't think he was ever nervous about Mara. And I, and I don't think they tried to hide that he wasn't nervous about her killing him. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of, he kind of had an idea that it, it wasn't necessarily all Mara that wanted to kill him. There was, there was some kind of underlying reason you know, something else was going on and he knew that he was confident in solving that problem. Right. And anytime I have felt like I was supposed to murder someone, (laughs) I too have felt justified. (laughs) So I think he assumed that she felt justified too. (laughs) Exactly. So Mara and Luke leave Sabaoth on Joe Mark and Here's one thing I thought was pretty interesting because it's kind of echoing episode four a little bit in that you have all the heroes in episode four traipsing around the Death Star and you're like, what in the world are you, how are you going to get out of this one? And Mara and Luke just, they just go to the Chimera. They do. And they know that they're going to rescue Card. And they just they just fly into the hornet's nest, basically. They sure do. And that whole scene of, you know, the infiltration and getting card. And then the uh, way that they escape is that previously Thrawn, when he was on the uh, trail of the Nogari, found out that they were that Leia and the Nogari were supposed to meet above Endor. He found an empty Millennium Falcon orbiting indoor and he takes it and he puts it on the chimera and so conveniently well, enough convenient. <laughs> <laughs> that is the ship that they that uh, luke mara and card get in to leave the chimera so we we get the millennium falcon back in the in the hands of our heroes there thank goodness i thought honestly i thought that was it i thought the millennium falcon would be gone forever <laughs> <laughs> that was never going to see it again. No, that's one of those. You thought it'd be it, it'd be Thrawn and Palian flying the Millennium Falcon around the galaxy <laughs> from then on. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I I've read this book several times, and I I always kind of actually laugh when I get to that part. That oh, of course, of course, they needed to get on that <laughs> right when he had the Millennium Falcon, just so they could get it back. But it is it is neat. They are very brazen. They just go. Say, so, yep, we're to go ahead and do this thing right now. And you can hear, now that I think about it, I think about The Force Awakens when Ray and Finn 
are trying to escape the Imperials. And there's the Millennium Falcon. It just happens to be sitting there. (laughs) And you you hear the theme song in the background. I'm sure if this was a movie and Luke realized, oh, that's the Millennium Falcon over there, that song is going to play in the background. Oh, absolutely. And I'm going to just start clapping and it'll be great. (laughs) Yeah, I can't believe it. (laughs) I'm so surprised. I didn't see that coming at all. I just thought, I thought you'd forget that it existed. (laughs) So. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say they, you know, at this, we've we've jumped around as it's going to happen when we talk about this, but. We're getting closer now to what's going to happen because by this point, I believe I'm probably going to get the order screwed up. But uh, go back to the Nogri again and Leia. Mm-hmm. While they're while he while they are rescuing Card, I believe by this point she's pretty well wrapped up on Honiger, isn't she? Yeah, I, I mean th- to the point where they're kind of like, "Holy crap, you're right. They've been poisoning the planet." Yeah. And we will now murder for you instead of <laughs> instead of them. They're going to murder somebody. It's just who, <laughs> just who are they going to do it for? <laughs> That's right. But yeah, at that point, uh, everybody, and this kind of goes back to what you were saying about everybody ended up at the same place. Everybody conveniently ends up on Coruscant at this point. They do. And they try to, in, in a, in a, meeting in a government meeting try to tell everybody hey the katana fleet is here we need to do something about this we gotta find it and one thing we haven't talked about another subplot in this book is borsk failure yeah the bothan a-hole that (laughs) that is that is uh throwing a monkey wrench in the works of what everybody's trying to do because right. all he wants to do is gain more political standing, which apparently is a Bothan trait. So he has gotten Akbar thrown in jail for treason and all treason. this stuff. And now everybody explains what the Katana fleet is and how important it is. And Borsk Felia is like, I, I disagree. I don't think so. <laughs> we don't need it. Yeah. I have three bicycles you can borrow. <laughs> That's more than enough. So everybody else everybody else uh decides, well, that's fine, Borsk. You can do what you want. We're gonna go look for it. We're gonna go look for it. And literally everybody goes to look for it. They do. At the same time that Thrawn shows up looking for looking for the it. Katana fleet. So we have our our Star Wars end of an episode space battle. We had the Heir to the Empire space battle at the Slewis Band shipyards, and we're getting this one in the middle of deep space where the Katana fleet is. You want to elaborate a little bit about the details of, of what takes place here as we're getting towards the end of the book? This The space battle, you're talking about that, we're kind of joke around a little bit about the fact that it seems to always have a end of the episode big space battle. This is one of the ones I, I like more. And I talked about the whole MacGuffin of going after the Katana fleet. And uh, it is because 
they do make it seem like such a big deal because it makes it you feel like neither side has the proper equipment yet. So this is a big deal that mm-hmm. this Katana fleet's been floating around for however long at this point, decades at this point, and that somebody's going to find it. And now all of a sudden we're all going to find it at once and see what's going to happen. And I believe when they when they run across the Katana fleet, there's only around 15 of them. Right. Because they don't realize that Thrawn is already making out with, with them. But yes, this is where I where I always get... I, I get blown away by the book because this is this is when they realize that clones are happening. Yes. And I just think that is so cool because did we have anything I got, you know, transporting myself back to the mid-90s when this book came <laughs> out? What did we know about clones at that point? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know that we knew a whole lot other than... Obi Wan that they were clearly Boba Fett's dad. <laughs> yeah. That was already yeah. established, right? right? Yes. yes. <laughs> Who, ironically enough, is Aquaman's dad. He is. <laughs> I love. I thought that movie was awesome. That was. It, yeah, he did good as Aquaman's <laughs> dad too. So yeah, we get the clones, and the only thing we heard about the clones is uh, Obi Wan in Episode Four talking to Luke about the Clone Wars. The Clone Wars. <laughs> You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. And Han finds out, you know, while they're on board one of the Dreadnoughts, that Thrawn's plan is to man the Katana fleet with clones. That's how he's going to accomplish this goal. It's also brought up that... I, I think they talk about how long it takes to grow a clone yeah. and how this is still going to take a while. And then they realize these are grown so fast. And that's what did somebody fill them in on how clones were going to work? Or did <laughs> George Lucas see this? Cause I mean, that's kind of a thing with the clones is how they, yeah. how they grow and all that stuff. And so they, I mean, it's kind of, to me, then this makes it established. That, so the clone wars meant that the clones were soldiers in this war, it wasn't, I don't know, I, what other interpretation you could have, but I'm sure somebody could come up with plenty of things that the Clone Wars could have been off one statement. Uh-huh. Uh, but this is just, it's so neat because it just falls right into yeah. that. Abs- yeah, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. That these, This is what clones are for, and they are, they are expendable human shields Yeah, at this point. Yeah. And it... It does so good because it strike it instantly strikes fear for everybody. Yeah, that oh my we we were we were in a war that sure looked like us as the New Republic was going to win, but we knew both sides were short. But holy crap, we're not they're not so short now, right? If they can come at us with that, there's a couple things during this this space battle that I that I really liked. I like how Card was the one that basically got Borskphilia to admit that he was more interested in his political standing than he was with the soldiers. Yeah. And when the soldiers hear this, because Card has the intercom on, they're like, all right, buddy, you're out of here. And mutiny. Borsk failure is kind of taken out of the picture at that point. And everybody unites. And Garmbel Iblis shows up with his dreadnoughts at this point mm-hmm. too. And basically says, hey, you need a hand? Here I am. And they're like, of course we do. 
and you've got Wedge flying around in the X-Wing. The Rogue Squadron is all that's going on. And then Mara gets seriously injured. She does. She gets ionized, which I thought was pretty interesting because ion weapons in Star Wars are supposed to, you know, disable electronics. You know, you saw the ion cannon on Echo Base and Empire Strikes Back take out a Star Destroyer. It totally disabled it. And she gets ejected from her ship and falls in the path of a of an ion beam and it totally fries her to the point where Luke is the only one that can find her in the mess of this space battle and rescue her. It's almost like they're connected. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so all of this takes place at the end of the book and going back to something I mentioned last episode of one of the things that I thought kind of got silly was Sabaoth getting frustrated because Thrawn hasn't gotten his Jedi yet. Give me my Jedi, yes. <clears throat> and that's kind of kind of where we end up. So that uh, act two, when we we have our heroes get kind of stuck in a in the middle of a problem, and act three is going to be how they get out of it, basically. Yeah, will they get out of it? I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. Either. You'll have to. You'll have to tune in next time, or read the book, or read or read the book that's been out for <laughs> nearly thirty years. Yeah. Well, it, it's a. Uh, it is. It's the second part of a trilogy. So you always think of: Is that going to leave our heroes in an, in dire situ- in a dire situation? And it holds true to that. That you know, we now know that Thrawn has. The Katana fleet, we also now know that he has a way to man the Katana fleet in very short order. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have a couple shining shining beacons of hope in there in that Leia and the Nogri are, are super best pals now. That's right. And so you know they're going to be doing things for her. And then on a on a personal note, that means this is a kickoff of the Nogri being super awesome, period. <laughs> uh, to me, anyway. So it does. I think it leaves you in a good spot. It leaves you ready to let ready to read the next one. Yeah. So we're gonna gonna bring up a couple things that I may or may not have liked about the book. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna start where you ended, and that's with Sabaoth and the bring me my Jedi. <laughs> I think. Sabaoth is a very necessary character, and I talked about this last time. He is necessary, but he doesn't have a place to exist for a long time. And I think it starts to show in this book in that uh, they, I mean, and he was, this is all intentional, I'm sure, the way he's written, but how he, the stuff he does with Luke, and then when Mara shows up, it takes some doing, but they escape fairly easily. Right. Uh, for what's supposed to be a, a master Jedi, and you're starting to get to where Okay, he can go away now. Yeah. And uh I'm glad he's in the next book, but I'm I'm getting to the point where I'm ready to not see him be there. And that's a little nitpick I have with the book because I wish I was more excited about Luke meeting another Jedi or Jedi like person right than I am with Sabioth and Another thing, I brought this up earlier, and so this is kind of a nitpick, but not really. 
Well, it is. Whenever <laughs> I read this book, and I've read it several times, I actually read it. I read it again over this last week, um, just so I could have another refresher. I constantly find myself just wanting the book to take me back to Honiger, where Leia and Anogri are, mm-hmm. and that can be taken two ways, I suppose. One that I well, I must have been bored by what else was going on, or the other way is that I just really, really like what's going on there. And it's more the second way than the first way. But there is parts of this book that move much slower than Heir to the Empire. Yes. And I think I do think that that's noticeable. And I always, in my mind, this is my favorite of the trilogy, of the Thrawn trilogy. But when I actually read it, when I've read it two times this close together, since I had just finished reading it not that long ago and then read it again this week... It does remind me that it is a it is one of the slower yeah slower books and I think that's uh that's something with the middle part of a trilogy yeah. saying I don't just mean that in Star Wars but in anything lots it seems does seem like lots of times the first book you're kicking everything off you got to introduce everything the second thing when you're going to make something bad happen also it seems to slow everything down because you can only get to a certain point right and then of course the third book is or third issue book movie whatever is something different is there anything you you didn't really like about it well the the stuff i had listed of what bothered me the most was exactly what you talked about just now and it felt like it was definitely slower and i don't know if i'm a impatient person or whatever but i like there to be a lot of action i'm an action guy i want stuff happening And it definitely seemed like in the middle of this book, it slowed down quite a bit. But kind of what I equated it to in what you're talking about, what you liked about Honiger and being there and the explanation of you come to find out how the Nogri are being duped by Thrawn. I equate it to the middle of The Empire Strikes Back, another act two. Mm -hmm. Not so much now, but when I was younger... When Luke would go to Dagobah and you learn all this stuff with Yoda and the Force and all this, all these major, you know, points about the universe, I would fast forward through that because. What do you mean by fast forward? <laughs> there used to you be would these, go to the. There used to be these next... ancient machines called VCRs. Oh, I see. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I'd watched the. Attack on Echo Base. I'd fast forward through Dagobah. I'd watch the asteroid chase, you know, and then I wanted to watch Bespin. But I think you're right. I think you're onto something there about the the act two, you know, to facilitate everything else in the, the story. You have to do a lot of explaining at some point, and this this kind of seems like where it usually ends up. And I'm not saying it's it's all bad because you learn all these interesting plot points and all that stuff, but at the same time, it's it does kind of slow down the action. That was that was my major. Uh, it wasn't even really major, but that was my you know the the thing that didn't really uh, turn me on about this book. But uh, I think what you're saying is when you make a trilogy like this, you plan the trilogy out before you ever put anything out. And you can't think of any example what? of what could potentially be a trilogy where it doesn't feel like it may or may may not have been planned. Are you are you saying that there would be a group of people that would say we're making another trilogy of 
you know, whatever story you want it to be about. Right. And nobody figured out what they were going to do past the first installment of said trilogy. I don't think that you would. I don't think you would do that. That seems foolhardy. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like the wrong thing to do. That does seem like the wrong thing to do. Seems like if you were guaranteed to be able to make these three things, (laughs) that you'd go ahead and (laughs) work out some story beats along the way. Usually, but usually you'd probably try and figure out what you're going to do at the end. And, uh, you know, everything's going to be based the, on that. The end of the first movie? Is that what you mean? <laughs> no. No. The end of the third one. Oh. So, are you saying you would you would end the first movie and then have the second movie <laughs> maybe throw that out the window? Is that what you're saying? Is that you know, the story beats you would follow? Well, No. <laughs> <laughs> weird <laughs> again that could be just general discussion it, it could be any any trilogy really. any trilogy out there any trilogy that <laughs> came out in the last couple of years that the third one hasn't happened yet <laughs> which I'm sure there's lots of <laughs> alright yeah. well moving on from that so I, I think the next two things we could talk about kind of tie in together. The first being Dark Force Rising's place in Legends. And I think it kind of ties into our character spotlight for this episode. I agree. I think they're one and the same. I do too. And that is the Nogri. This introduced a major, to us anyway, a major point in the series. Major plot point. Major plot point because this introduced a whole new, I know we've already seen new planets. We talked about the Wraith being another new species, but this is giving us lore behind a species that we had nothing to do with before these two books came out. And then... Moving forward, they they remain a part of the story. You know, I'm not saying that it's not. I it's not like they're in every book. I'm not. I I say that it makes it sound like they like Luke and Leia leave, and it's just the Nogri. I'm not saying that, but they they exist throughout. Yeah, now. They're there. Whether for sure, yeah, they're there. Yeah, this is a big deal because, and they feel unique in that of what their skill set is and what they are and how they act and all that stuff. And I just think the Nogri are, I just really enjoy them. And it's in your head. It's so easy for me anyway, from what's written to picture them doing the things they do. And I think that's so neat. Yeah. I found it really interesting how they referred to Leia as Lady Vader. Lady Vader. Because that's kind of, you know, their point of view where they're coming from. And uh, like you said, how they how they serve a a purpose beyond this trilogy. Mm -hmm. So I think we've said pretty much everything we've we've wanted to say about the Nogri. Let's move into some role playing game seeds. So if you were going to write 
an adventure that was set during Dark Force Rising or had anything to do with Dark Force Rising, what would what what kind of adventure do you think you would come up with? Well, it comes back to something I was talking about again with the Nogri and seeing the things that having little bits of this is some stuff that Darth Vader did that was outside the story of anything we've seen before with this. So now you have the Nogri who are super cool assassins, essentially. And Thrawn has already brought up uh, Nogri commando group, whatever, number whatever. Right. Insinuating that there's several of them. So to me, what I always thought would be neat with a Nogri is if, and I don't even remember if it's ever mentioned in there, what the size of the group of Nogri is in a commando, if it's if it's four of them, if it's eight million of them, I don't know <laughs> what the number is. I assume it's not that, but I think it would be really neat to be working under Thrawn on the side projects he has going on as part of Empire Nogri Commando Group 17, and mm-hmm. there's five of you that are sent after high-profile targets around the galaxy. And how you have to, because, you know, this isn't isn't Earth where we're all human. This is a galaxy far, far away where Nogri looks vast, vastly different from a Barabel. So them sneaking around to get their job done. Are you going to sneak around and try to hide? Can you disguise yourself as a Nogri? That's an assassin spy type of deal. Or do you go in guns a-blazing with your spider web shooting thingy that they had before? And I, in my mind, I always think that's I. And I, I like that as I like that kind of role playing where you have to try to work your way into something mm-hmm. because you you know, you know that a lot of times they probably do things quietly. Otherwise, we would really already know who the Nogri are, right? Right. Before this, or you know, you would think. And I know when they go after in Air of the Empire, they go after Leia when she's in that market, and it's pretty brazen and straightforward but in my mind i just i I feel like that's probably out of the norm yeah and they were trying to capture but if they were trying to slay like i said slay a high profile target you never saw it happen yeah type of deal and i think that would be a neat goal because how you could build that around their quiet cat-like movement and that's 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 what i would want to do one of the things that i was thinking about was Kind of along the same lines that you were saying, except I cracked open my Star Wars Saga Edition by Wizards of the Coast Force Unleashed Campaign Guide. Oh yeah, Remember that is that, that is where we find the Nogri in this edition of the Star Wars role playing game, and it talks about exactly what you were talking about, except. It would be set in the dark times between episodes three and episode four, and you'd be doing missions for Darth Vader. For Darth Vader, yeah. And I thought that was super interesting, and I agree with you. I think a lot of the things you would be doing would have to do a lot more with stealth than mm-hmm. it would be, you know, just straight up combat. Mm-hmm. But there's so many different things that you could be set out on a mission to do, like you were saying, high profile targets. Or take down rebel cells or, you know... Gathering information. Yeah, gathering information, 
convoy routes that you know the rebels might be on and you know there's there's all kinds of things that you could do there i I think that'd be pretty interesting another thing i thought about was if you were playing during the dark force rising time and it was after leia had convinced the nogari to help her would you want to get revenge you if you were playing a nogari on honiger and realized everything that happened, and you're just one of the no-name in the background, Nogri, you know, in the story, I think my character would start plotting his revenge against the Empire. I agree. I think that would be kind of an interesting path to go down. I do too, and I think the Nogri as a whole, though, your individual individual desires for revenge would still stay behind not that you owe the new republic anything you're not in servitude to them either but it would stay behind your loyalty to them so you wouldn't do anything rash i think they're too yeah calm and smart to to let that know they would know that they get what they they would know they're gonna get an exact some revenge if they are patient yeah I agree. It's kind of funny in a lot of role-playing games when you read about a a species or a race or something like that. It explains all of the the typical things that this, you know, type of character would do. And then it says, but it's your character. You can pretty much do whatever you want. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're, uh, you're an exception to the rule. Yeah. Well, um, Wrapping this thing up, so how many limbs would you sever for the Dark Force Rising? I had to change this because I this has always been my, in my mind, has always been my favorite of the Thrawn trilogy. But reading it twice like this, this close to together, does remind me of the parts of it that I don't like. Where well, I'll... I shouldn't say that I don't like that. I don't get as excited about. Mm-hmm. And so even though I, I just, I think I'm going to have to give it a 4.8 <laughs> instead of a five. <laughs> so that final limb is going to be dangling. <laughs> and the, whoever's limbs we cut off, I mean, they're in excruciating pain. There's <laughs> hanging by tendons. <laughs> but I just, I think I, and I, this would change, and this could change to a five if I read it again tomorrow. But now it's a 4.8. 4.8 brutally severed limbs. <laughs> well, uh, my, mine is kind of along the same line as yours. My baseline is a little bit different, though, because I gave uh, Heir to the Empire four. And I think with this one, um, I'm going to give it three and a half. And it's just simply because of, like I said, I'm an action guy. And and there was definitely a slower part in the middle of this book that didn't get me super excited. But at the same time, all things considered, everything that's happening and everything that uh, is built out of this book is fantastic. So I'm going to go ahead and chop off two arms and a leg. Mm-hmm. And then um, the fourth leg, I'm just going to stop at the kneecap and just go ahead and, I mean, 
you know, just go ahead and slice off the bottom half of that leg. And I'll, I'll be, you know, considerate and keep that quadricep part of the leg <laughs> and the head intact. The meaty part of the leg. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's it is it's a very good book. It's it continues the story, but there's there are just a couple things. As much as it has my favorite parts of the trilogy in it, I just I gotta gotta stick with my four point eight. Sounds good. Yeah, just screaming in agony. Please finish <laughs> it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> Through principle, I can't. Well, I think we've. Uh... Thoroughly discussed Dark Force Rising by Timothy Zahn. Um, if you guys want to hit us up on Facebook, look for Guardians of the Wheels podcast. Uh, feel free to leave us some comments, some feedback. We're hopefully going to get a episode down the road where we can have we can talk about some comments that uh, you guys are leaving on the Facebook page, and and we can have a little discussion about that kind of stuff. So, it's no surprise, but uh, what are we doing next episode? <laughs> we're, uh, we're doing my Twilight fan fiction, <laughs> and I'm really excited about it. I've just been wanting to get it out there, and I think now's the time to do that. Is that okay? Or- I'm, I'm in. I, I just... No. <laughs> I, I just want to know if you're on the, the werewolf side or the vampire side. We'll tune in to find out. <laughs> Maybe I have a whole new set of Merman. mythical creatures. You're, you're, <laughs> you're going to introduce the merman. Solely takes place in in a in a small pond populated by mermen. <laughs> it's good. No, we'll move on to the last command. So sorry to make everybody wait. My fan fiction will still be, it'll come, (laughs) but not next time. (laughs) Well, uh, that sounds, that sounds good. We'll see you guys next time for our uh, discussion about the conclusion of the Thrawn trilogy, The Last Command. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. You got it. May the force of others be with you. You've been listening to the Guardians of the Wheels podcast. This podcast is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm and is meant for entertainment and educational purposes only. That's General Veers. And he's also found in Downton Abbey and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So you're saying they haven't they haven't caught him and put him on trial for his war crimes yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Still roaming around. Yeah. <laughs>